0: This is philosophy versus improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. This is Mark Linsenmeyer. I will be guiding you on your philosophy journey today.
1: And this is Bill Arnett. I will be guiding you on
0: your improv journey today. And the guided or the Uber guide, the mediator, something. Introduce yourself, special guest. <laughs>
2: i am kevin allison i am a member of the sketch comedy group the state and i am the creator and host of the podcast risk which just turned 15 years
1: old that is ridiculous we're now called we're
2: now called a legacy
1: podcast wow back when they were actually downloaded to ipod devices Exactly, exactly. Yeah, not many of the indie podcasts are
2: still around, but we just keep chugging along. It's also true of true storytelling shows, like nationally known true storytelling shows. A lot took a hit during the pandemic and went away, but we're still chugging along. So we're still the show that instead of the moth, you can turn to for much more uncensored
1: true storytelling. There we go. Well, that lines up somewhat coincidentally with the lesson I had in mind, Mark. I don't know.
0: Well, actually, what he's (laughs) the word that has come out of Kevin's mouth is exactly captures the philosophy lesson I had in mind, but we're not going to reveal these immediately. They will come up naturally, probably in the next 10 minutes in the course of things, and then we can talk about them explicitly. But Kevin, when I originally approached you about this, you said, well, I'm a sketch guy. I'm not an improv guy. You must have been forced to do some improv at some point.
2: Well, it's very funny. We were joking around. We actually just were talking to Rolling Stone about this, the members of the state, that we were very arrogant back in the day. Monty Python were basically our biggest heroes. Something like the argument sketch is down to the letter. We also had no improv training. There just wasn't that much Happening in New York City at that time. You know, this is 1988 when the group formed. So there was no UCB or anything like that. And even at NYU's acting school, I don't think there were comedy acting improv classes going on. So we were just kind of making things up as we went. And because we were so comfortable writing, we got arrogant about it. And we would say, <laughs> yeah, stand up comedy. That's bullshit improv comedy that's bullshit you know what i mean and eventually when the group broke up we you know all realized holy shit we should learn to do some other things as well you know what i mean and start being nice to other kinds of comedians out there in the world and also the trajectory of my career has shown that realizing, oh, yeah, like storytelling is very similar to a lot of the things that I learned in sketch comedy and then later learned in taking some improv classes. I actually got hired as the creative director of the People's Improv Theater for a year. In 2007, I produced the show Naked Boys Improvising. I hope they were 18. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course Okay, Um, (laughs) they were doing a Herald and the whole idea was that everyone had to lose items of clothing scene by scene and then be naked by the time the lights (laughs) were ready to go out at the very end. So, yeah, that was fun, but I really had very little actual improv training in my career. We make fun of our album, The State made an album for Warner Brothers, you know, shortly after we left MTV and that album never got released. And one of the things is you can hear that we're so drunk and you can hear that we have not had improv
1: training. (laughs) I think in 1988, a lot of it didn't exist, or it certainly didn't exist in a way that would be able to generate the kind of material that is able to be generated today. Uh, It sounds kind of strange, this idea of improv technology, but there's technology everywhere. There's, There's writing technology, there's certainly media, film, and computer technology. Quick question for you. The year would have been 97, 98, perhaps, Austin, Texas, the big stinking improv festival. I may have seen you naked. Oh, um, (laughs) gosh. So the whole state was there? Well, that's just it. It was one of those things where I know you all are kind of a large group and they were certainly, I'm not sure how you decided who did what or who went on what trips or things or or when there was.
2: I don't think I was at that one, but I am very well aware that there was a show, a tour show that the group did (laughs) in the 90s where at one point everyone was naked, but.
1: I can't remember why. I can't remember what the premise of that sketch might have been. Well, it was at the top of the show, and one of the guys came out, and it was back in the day, he had a little disposable camera, and he's like, boy, I've never been in, this, in a theater this big. This sure is amazing. But look at this huge hall. While the rest of the cast gets ready for the next scene, I'm going to chat with you all and take some pictures. And this cast, the rest of the cast just kind of went over and got into their underwear. And people are laughing. Ha, 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 they're in their underwear. That's ridiculous. And then the guy who was doing up front and stage is like, all right, let's get a picture, everybody. And a total magician straight out of some magician's playbook. Look over here. And he had the whole crowd looking at him as he's taking these little snapshots with a disposable camera. Meanwhile, of course, the cast is getting out of their underwear all the way naked, maybe socks. And no one noticed it. No one saw it until the guy at the front like, OK, thanks for the pictures, everybody. Let's start the show. And then our attention was released uh, and we could then notice <laughs> what was happening on the entirety of the stage. Well executed. That is hilarious. I'll give you credit uh, by extension.
2: In our reunion show, like I'm 53 years old right now. And in our reunion show that we've been doing, I am nearly naked. I am almost naked. We did a Zoom reunion show during the lockdown. And I was like, gee, I don't have any costumes and props around the house. I don't have, really have any funny stuff around. And then I was like, Oh wait, I have all of my BDSM gear. <laughs> I was going I thought you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say I have my naked body. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I all I did was, you know, throw on the old, you know, uh, leather jock strap and the harness sure. and everything, the whips, and uh, I'm all ready to go.
1: Yes. Mark, you seem to be frozen are you frozen or just in disbelief
0: i've been contemplating the long-term effects of what has been described here like the naked boys that you taught was that merely a passing an ephemeral thing in the world or were all these recorded such that you know you have naked people on the internet forever and and because you decided to improvise naked once then it exists
2: Oh, the Naked Boys improvising that we did at the pit, there was absolutely no photography allowed. Mm. People have taken photographs of me in my BDSM getup at these huge shows that we've been doing, and I don't really care. I mean, and of course, yeah, the thing lives on from the Zoom during the pandemic too. I think of it kind of like, you know, Terry Jones appearing in stuff on, on Python all naked. And it always kind of shocked me in... I don't know, the 90s when Lauren Michaels and folks like that started casting for, oh, well, this guy's really good looking. This guy's when good looks seemed to be important to comedy all of a sudden. Like I never thought of comedians as needing to have bodies that were anything other than kind of funny.
1: (laughs) And I think I fit the bill. I mean, you want people with kind of weird bodies, or especially if they get naked or run funny or have strange <laughs> uniqueness to them. Of course. Mark is still in disbelief. Mark is still in disbelief.
0: Who are the uh, Lauren Michael hires that were just for looks? Is this, are you talking Jim Brewer? What air are we talking about exactly? Because I can't picture where the hotness might have made a a quantum leap
2: back in the day i mean people are passing around a meme right now saying you know oh you can see why jimmy fallon was hired in the first place Mm. when you look at his pictures in when he was first hired you know what i mean i'm not saying that you know someone necessarily has to look like brad pitt or something like that but you know you could say that chevy chase was a good looking guy back in the day too I'm not saying there are never good looking comedians when you go back further in time, but it seemed to become more important Mm -hmm. since the 90s, you know, that you're more likely to see comedians that, you know, are kind of buff or
1: just look like they're trying to look their best, you know? Yeah. I'd always heard that the deals that the, the performers had signed included, you know, the options for movies and things. And I think they're, well, maybe we should hire, we can make a lot of money. With our stable of performers, if we can get them into movies, who's going to look nice? Who's going to look, who does Hollywood want to put on screen? And, and uh, we can kind of hitch our wagon to that little cash in, a little some chips on that is what I've always heard. And that, of course, the ripples it caused in the Chicago community was, well, now everyone's casting younger. Everyone's Mm. looking for somebody younger. And there are a lot of angry ripples and some very talented people who suddenly were out of work because they didn't. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, weren't young looking enough. a V. Yeah. Right, Mark. I'm sure that happens in a philosophy where you look at, they're just not professorial enough. They just don't have the, they don't look good and shoulder and elbow pads on their coat.
0: <laughs> if you try to go on television and you okay. do not have a six pack of some sort, then the AI rejects you. So insofar as intellectuals are allowed in that area, I'm sure... As you know, whatever sort of quality of thinker it is, whatever sort of form it is, at some point, there's going to be some removal of shirts, and (laughs) the glistening packs are going to come out. And the the ideas, you know, it's just like what you were describing, The, the eyes will be completely absorbed, and will not see. What is going on, you know, as your data is stolen or whatever they're doing in the corner of the screen? I'm not sure exactly how to extend the analogy.
1: Well, don't we have expectations? We expect a doctor looks like this and a college professor looks like this and a comedian looks like this. And when those expectations get broken, and again, they're arbitrary and maybe they're they're made just because that's how doctors looked yesterday. And now that's how I expect them to look today. But I could imagine there could be situations where you don't take a doctor seriously because, you know, it's like, well, there's just some little, you know, not that a little mousy girl couldn't be <laughs> a perfectly mm-hmm. wonderful surgeon or doctor. But there might be a moment where you're like, you don't fit the mold that I expect. And that mold may be biased. That mold is certainly full of all kinds of garbage. But I bet there's some philosophers
0: who don't fit the mold. I mean, the stereotype of a philosopher, I think, is, uh, is dead. what you'd expect. All of your good philosophers. uh, If they're worth anything, if they're worth
1: anything, they're dead. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. You know, I don't want to have to filter. I don't want to have to like look through all these philosophers and decide which ones are good. I want, you know, some uh, process to have passed them down or the generations to me so that the guys that were a big deal in, uh, you know, 1790 but didn't make it all the way to me. I know I can safely ignore them. You know, they were not ripped enough. You know, they might have been ripped at the time, but, you know, they, their, their corpse was not exquisite enough uh, for their thought to reach me. And so, you know, I can be very safe that I'm, I'm only getting the good stuff. It's like wine. All right, all right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do we want to launch into an improv scene here, Mark? Do you have something in mind? I'm just not sure why you thought that this would be a good idea. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you brought us out here. Yeah. Do you see any other guests? Do you see anything that seems like an attraction? I thought this was going to be some kind of interesting outing. What did you have in mind exactly?
1: This is called a hotel closed for the season. All right. This is like the shining. Okay. It's perfectly legal. It's all above board, but I figured we could go to this luxury hotel here on the banks of the Mississippi river. You know, we get the run of the place.
0: We get the run of the place for, the, for for a long weekend. Isn't this cool? There's not like a conference. There's not any events. It is just merely empty rooms. Yeah. E- echoing with the sounds. So this is like one of those elevator episodes where we're we're going to get to know each other better. Is that? I don't know. I don't know. We do whatever we want to do. Isn't this cool? No. It's not cool. Is there any staff here at all? Let's, let's at least, can you just ring the bell? Ring the bell on yes, the, on the yes. thing. Bing, Bang! bing, bing.
1: <laughs> Hello. <laughs> hey, we're checking in. Uh we're doing that uh empty hotel package. Uh then just uh got my reservation online here. Here's my
0: information. Oh. Uh hmm, I wasn't expecting you today. Really? You, you didn't even make a reservation at the empty oh, hotel? I, I, we're just breaking in. Why was this a good idea? I had a reservation.
1: I have my paperwork. I mean, it's all in order. I think this is part of it. Mm. Mm. It must have slipped my mind or something.
2: Uh, All right, let's see what what I can get for you. Um, There's a room in the basement that's free.
0: The whole hotel is closed for the season, and the basement—that's the one that's ready for human. Okay, all
2: right. Where we keep the
1: mops. Yeah, but um, it's most assuredly free. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. I guess we'll have to take it. Now, will you be here this whole weekend, or do you have to leave for the season, or... Oh, I'll
2: be down there with you. It's my favorite place to be, that I have a thing for mobs, and uh, I just don't like to be away from them for very
1: long. (laughs) Sure. Okay, um, we could probably figure something out there, but it's true we'll have the run of the hotel, though, right? All the, the library and the uh ballroom and the gardens and everything, and... uh
2: Well, there have been some deaths in the building over the past few oh, days. Geez. Oh, boy. And... Spooky! Oh. Spooky! Yeah, some of those rooms are closed off with police tape and
0: all. Okay. Okay, that way we'll be able to find them. This is actually... A pretty elaborate set. I mean, so we're the only, how can they afford to run this place if it's just, I mean, how, how much, can I ask, how much you put down for this? It's on me. Don't even ask. All right. All right. I mean, are there other performers? I mean, are there other staff on the grounds? I'm the only one here this weekend.
2: Normally an enormous staff, but like I said, a lot of death over the past few days. Mm, hmm. Days. Few days.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah days. last it, few days. It, the tapestry grows richer. What? Yeah. Huh? Could you tell, tell us about these deaths, please? Well, it's been an eventful week. The cook
2: stroked to death. Terrible accident. The whole staff, the, the maids and the butlers, are there was the fire. You know, a lot of immolation
0: going on. This is this week. There's a fire in this building. Okay, all right. I understand you can't, you know, smoke the whole... All right, go ahead. I'm with you. To put it, I had a lot to mop up. And, you
2: know, that's <laughs> I can't complain about that. Some of my favorite time is
1: the time I spend with my moms. Okay. All right. This, this, um, I just kind of want to time out. This is all part of it, right? I mean, don't ask
0: him to break character. Come on. It's, that's very goosh. That was spooky. That was kind of spooky. Well, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> the <laughs> point. I mean, well,
1: I, I, I was going to I bargain for it. Look when oh, I was, a, when I no, was, no,
2: no, there, there's no, there's no shows that take place here. No, no, no.
0: Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I understand. Yes. Okay. He's not going to break character. He just, just, we got to go with this. All right. He likes the mops. What yeah, what can we yeah. ask him about the mops to, to you know, we got to feed this, uh, char- let, let him, let him round out the character.
1: Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm presuming, and as far as, you know, food goes and whatnot, we can use the walk-in freezer, huh? The walk-in larder, you know? We got some food down there. We can... Well, unfortunately,
2: that's where I'm storing the groundskeeper. You don't want him to get all stinky. So for the time being, uh, the
0: walk-in fridge is uh, where I'm keeping him. Probably just a budget thing. They don't want to, show, they can't show, have the whole hotel open for. I mean, we're, you're definitely not paying enough for them to open the whole hotel. We got to be reasonable here. Look, I've,
1: I've always been down for adventures, Mark. You know that. Okay. Since I was a boy, my family moved around a ton and I love going on adventures. All right. I love doing things. I love exploring. I love unique holidays. And I've also loved horror movies. And this is the situation and opportunity to marry those two things. All right? all right. Horror movies and adventure. But I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I feel like we might be crossing a line. There might be. I don't know.
0: Don't lose your nerve at this point. I mean, you paid your money. We got out here. You got me out here. You, this was. Uh, this seemed like it was going to be boring. Now it seems like. Well, if you want to be... show us down to the basement, yeah. so we'll
1: just take our bags and uh, get oh, get I'd yeah. love to yeah. see yeah. some of those
0: uh, mops. mops. Absolutely. Come down this way. Here we okay. are. Any uh, mm-hmm. any distinguishing characteristics about the mops? Any particular mops you prefer over other mops? Uh, mop trivia? This here is Sheila,
2: and she has. I mean, you can see quite, quite a girth to the amount of, um, you know, yarn
0: or whatever (laughs) they call it. I mean, I think you you might want to learn some mop terminology if you're going to make this do this mop character. But I I understand. Yep. Yep. Okay, Martha. Martha. What did I say her name was? Martha. (laughs) Sorry, I just I just missed it. Sheila. Uh, the Sheila. Sheila. Sheila Sheila okay. Sheila let's get this Sheila. right Mark,
1: let's get this right okay <laughs> let's get this right okay I, I think this is a guy we don't want to we, we should get this correct
0: let's cover our bases here and let's, let's at least so are you, are you monogamous with the mops or are the are there many mops a very very
2: carefully negotiated polyamorous relationship hmm Yes. It takes a lot of laying down of boundaries
1: and whose limits are have changed this month, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I see you've got some cots over in the corner here. Looks like there's three cots. So that's good news, Mar that that makes me feel like this is above That, that seems a little coincidental if we weren't actually expected. I mean well, I, who, I, I know that's right, so I'm feel I feel better. I feel better seeing those three cots.
2: Well, the thing of it is two of them are for Sheila. All right.
0: Are we sharing? Is that are we entering into the polyamory? I, oh, I, mean, uh, I mean,
2: I I hadn't
0: quite figured out where I
2: might be able to have you guys lay down yet, you know, because you know Sheila. I mean, as you can see, she's a rather long mop
1: with, as I said, girthy yarn oh, as my, a very plus life. size. That's a Lane Bryant mop right there. That's a serious... Yeah.
2: So I like to give her two cots whenever I can. And then, you know, sometimes I need a little... Go off in my own little world. So I like to have one for myself just in case things are a little tense between Sheila and I. However, as far as the concrete goes, it's a lot more comfortable than some other concretes i've slept on before
1: you know there were some sofas up in the lobby maybe you can just crash yeah, on a I sofa know. up in the lobby that could be fun you know build a giant fire well i could walk into that fireplace that thing was huge you know that was probably six feet by well, ten feet there's build a, a fire.
2: lot of stuff up the up the chute there that i don't know the, the flu the, the, the
0: fireplace chute
2: yeah, the flu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the flu or I, just as a nickname, I like to call it the chute. Does Sheila visit the chute? What are Sheila's functions? Sheila doesn't do so much mopping these days. I guess in the old days, we would have had a proper chimney sweep come through there. But uh, there's a lot being stored
1: up there. In stored that um stored yeah I don't not know. collected or not just time has mark this is getting weird mark i think this is not what i thought it was going to be mark i think we should bail
0: i i'm just very intrigued so sheila does mostly emotional labor now she yeah
2: she mark she, <laughs> sheila is a uh, a companion you know an emotional support companion
1: well, I think that's fantastic. We all need someone to love and someone we can trust, someone we can talk to. I'm glad you found someone. Mark, I'm thinking we go explore the grounds with our bags.
0: I mean, you can go ahead. I, I'm feeling like I, I want to learn a little more about adventure to me is like the Why? boundaries of human relationships and the sexual politics here are pretty intriguing as far as I'm concerned. The uh, sexual politics I mean, of a man and his mops. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Have you heard this before? Is this the sound? This is like a pretty authentic seeming scheme that's going on here. And if you're too close minded to be part of it, I mean, maybe just go check out the grounds. I'll just be down here in the in the unadorned concrete room with the cots that are. Listen to yourself.
1: Listen to yourself, Mark. All right. I'll be down here in the unadorned concrete room. In the basement. All right. Is that? It's, is that? It's some of the nicer concrete I've been on. <laughs> sure. Okay. This is clearly a Portland cement with some very nice aggregate.
0: Mark. I mean, it's quite unmopped. <laughs> you got. You got to admit, it's really in its pure state. You know, it's. It's. You can see the history on this concrete.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would hate to put Sheila up to something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. No. You got to. You got to give the mop her freedom. You want to. Make sure that you're just uh, giving more than receiving is really what it comes down to. Okay. I'm not getting any bars on my phone. Yeah. Do you mind if I just stay and we just murder him? Is that okay? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Stay and murder... Whom? This is the subject of the ver- of the verb. <laughs> I, I I was asking our host if he would mind if I if we just stayed and I joined the, the group and maybe we just add you to the pile of corpses. I mean, if, is that absolutely okay. Okay. I mean, All right. okay? All right, okay. Bye. Well, bye. We'll right. Bye. Bye. All right, maybe we should stop that scene. We'll stop there. We'll stop there.
2: (laughs) I thought we weren't going to do an improv. So I was like, wait,
1: what the hell is going on right now? Mark has been very stealthy (laughs) these last few episodes, feeling his oats and and very much having the conversation drift
0: into an improv scene. Uh Um, You this time asked me to start one. And if I had an idea, and I absolutely did not have an idea. So (laughs) this was, I was using your, I would think one of your lessons for say something ambiguous, and let Bill figure it out.
1: <laughs> well, the idea is that we figure it out together. Uh, <laughs> I don't think the lesson was make me do it. I think the lesson was we don't have to have an idea. We don't have to have a fully fleshed thing. But if we get talking, an idea will emerge, and we can then push that. I just needed a, a starter emotion, which
0: was incredulity or something like yeah.
1: that. <laughs> I thought we found something
0: cool. I was happy with... Oh, yeah. I had a lot of fun with Sheila. <laughs> Did you feel cornered into being, okay, now, okay, we've picked a part for Kevin because he hasn't spoken up yet. You could have been one of the travelers with us, but because you had not spoken up, therefore, you know, we wanted to have something like the classic sketch structure.
2: I liked our resolution of doing away with, with him.
0: <laughs> yeah, ha, ha, ha. ha. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I mean that's what if you're going to say we're in a shining kind of hotel. I mean, you know, somebody's got to be corrupted by it. And yes, I just felt a calling. (laughs) It did make it difficult with the direction that autonomous scene was was taking to slip in the philosophy lesson, which was a fairly simple. Kevin, you mentioned legacy, and so I was Hmm. sort of trying to think about the long shadow that things cast, whether it's the naked men in your. (laughs) In your sketch show, as compared to the very ephemeral character, not too long a shadow. <laughs> the very ephemeral character of you know what we're doing in improv, but we're recording it, so all this thing that was created, you know, not to be uh, carved in stone, is now carved in stone, despite our best efforts. And I don't know if there's something self contradictory about that.
2: When I first started Risk, I was just learning how to tell stories. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of believed. Because the state really had this philosophy. It's how we did what we did. We didn't have comedy classes. We had neither improv nor sketch comedy classes. So we kind of just learned by doing. And then when the members of the state that created Reno 911 created that show, they were like, well, we've never really done improv, but let's learn it by doing a show of it. And so that was my philosophy with Risk when I first discovered, well, it was Michael Ian Black who first really encouraged me to tell a true story on stage, You know, stop playing characters so much and just be myself out on stage. And I said, oh my God, that's so risky. And he said, well, that's the idea to go with. And so I thought, what was the riskiest story I could tell? And I told the story at this storytelling show at UCB in Chelsea about the first time I tried prostituting myself when the state was not sure whether we were going to get our TV series or not. There was a six-month period where they were keeping us starving, not sure what was going on. And I told this story at UCB, and on the day of, I called Margot Lightman, who was hosting the show, and I said, I can't do this. This just feels too risky. She said, that's great news. And I said, why? Did you overbook? And she said, no, 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 no. This storytelling show I do is all sexual stories. and..." there's usually someone who calls on the day of and says, I don't think I can do this. It's too risky. And I know if I can convince them to do it anyway, that'll be the story that knocks it out of the park. (laughs) So I came and told that story that, you know, comedy of errors, my attempt at becoming a hustler story. And it was such like the energy of just talking directly to the audience, being conversational and seeing them lean in more and more the more honest and uncensored i became it was electric and i walked away from ucb that night with the whole idea of risk in my head i was like okay here's what it got to be i've been suffering from stage fright for the past several years if i force myself to get up on stage as myself telling a story on a regular basis that'll get me over the stage fright If I make it a podcast, which I was just learning about as being a thing in 2008, then it'll reach more people than small room comedy normally does. And so I literally just started making risk from there and learning how to tell stories while making the show. But 15 years later, There's shit in those early episodes where I'm like, oh my fucking God, get to the inciting incident, my friend, Mm. or just stuff where you're like, oh my God, I don't feel that way anymore, you know? So we put out reruns of Risk on Thursdays now. And part of our system is our editors
0: review them
2: and see if anything has to be cut out.
0: (laughs) On the basis of it being too risque or just being boring?
2: <laughs> well, <it> boring? <laughs> yeah, mostly on the basis... Yeah, if something is just like, this is a total mess and boring, I mean, that's rarely the case. The show has always been very, very strong. But no, occasionally someone will have been revealed in the news to have, you know, hmm. sexually assaulted people or someone will just say something where it's like, "Ooh, that's cringy now and including myself, you know, so every now and then we'll just be able to snip out a line here or there. But the whole idea of the show has always been that it's where you can share in a more raw, real way than you could on an NPR show. And another thing is there used to be a lot more celebrities on the show in the early days and I think they've become afraid <laughs> to do the show mm. because of its reputation, but also because, you know, now there are gigantic corporate podcasts. Sure. Take- sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it's funny that you say that when I was getting into improv, there was really only one book. There only really one resource. The Internet wasn't the Internet. And that was truth in comedy. Yes. So close right. and Sharna and then Kim Howard Johnson. But like this idea of like your truth has a value because it's true and no fake story can ever have that value. There is a uniqueness to a true story. I think about the movie Fargo, the Coen Brothers movie, and it begins with this little blurb. This is all yes. true. And it's like it never was. But yeah. it puts the audience in a place. Well, this I'm going to judge this differently because it's oh, true.
2: It did me. It did me. I very much took that to be true. And yes, there's also the fact that people will sometimes say things on the show that other people might disagree. In other words, a person might be like, well, I don't feel like I was sexually assaulted. And then, and then other people will be like, What? You were, you know, and or you know, something like, I think my mother was possessed by the devil. And people will be like, Well, fuck, you know, are you kidding? That's just a psychological thing. And I always come on as the host after the stories explaining, okay, a similar thing might have happened to you and you might have a different interpretation, but
1: this is this person's
2: how they oh, see yeah. their life, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes students will be like, "Oh, I don't have anything interesting to say about my life," or "Hey, we're going to do some truthful monologues." And I don't have anything. It's like you're comparing your true story to fake stories to fiction. And what hmm. what makes a fiction story interesting? It's like uh, these are different beasts. And and I'm sure you have probably had moments of people sharing true stories that are like this is stranger than fiction, or this it wouldn't work. Oh. As, it wouldn't work as fiction. Yeah, uh, 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 it's a hard thing for people to grasp sometimes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mark, is that the philosophy lesson? <laughs> did we did we get it? <laughs>
0: when I normally think of legacy, I think of something that you intentionally prepare. What is it going to be your legacy? What is the thing you're working toward to leave? Because if you're not working toward something actively, then maybe it just all disappears in sand, and maybe that's fine. Maybe this is a vain hope of you know the illusion of immortality. The best your legacy is going to do is maybe remind you know get down a generation or two and then it's all going to be just a bunch of white noise regardless. Oh, you have a TV show people can watch it now. Okay, well that that lasted this far. What about mm-hmm. 30 years from now? So people that record much more than I do or, you know, have a much bigger cultural footprint, you know, I've heard complaining like, "Yes, in 50 years nobody's going to know a damn thing that I did whatsoever." You're pointing out Kevin though that a lot of our legacy is unplanned. And perhaps in this age of cancellation, everything that we are doing is, in fact, going to be just, you know, research material for the people that are saying, I never thought that he would commit such a grisly murder. <laughs> Can we, let's go through all the 20 years of tapes to find what would have. Yeah.
2: There's also the way that people get things out of other people's stories that you might not have anticipated. Like, for example, there have been some extraordinarily kinky stories shared on the show and someone will write in, well, I'm a very religious Christian mother of four kids in in Idaho and I don't have a kinky bone in my body. But the way the emotions were described in that one part of that story made me realize I had to finally talk to my mother about this thing that happened when I was in the set. You know what I mean? Like people will (laughs) say that sort of thing and it'll be a breakthrough for them. So it's true that the state, the sketch comedy group does have a bit of a legacy in that there are so many comedians nowadays who say they watched Mm -hmm. us when they were in grade school or high school. And our, particular chemistry and our particular like the way we were so absurdistly silly and childish almost while also being quite smart, which is also something that we kind of felt that Python had going on, was a big influence on a lot of younger comedians. And so that's nice to know that there was a ripple effect there. But when it comes to risk, I mean, early on, Like in the first year or so of the podcast existing, was when I started getting these emails. I had my son listen to that episode with me, and he is now off heroin, or I decided not to commit suicide after I heard that. Like, there are so many, like, this episode was life changing for me emails that I get that. There are times that, especially since the lockdown, the pandemic, that I feel really burnt out on risk, quite frankly but I really don't feel like I can stop doing it because it really means so much to so many people out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm always like, I don't want to stop in case this next thing we put out <laughs> might save someone's life or something, you know?
1: And you can't predict what will touch somebody. No. And and the second you try to engineer, well, I want this to be touching or I hope this, affects, well, now it's not honest anymore.
2: Right, right, right. Uh, we had a story on the show, talk about kinky stories. We had a, story on the show about scat play about like eating shit you know as an erotic play between Mm -hmm. two men and it was mark you okay i'm ready for the
0: details about the scat play
2: please go ahead what was interesting to me was that that was the first my first understanding of what this story was gonna be about but when i started talking to the fella i was like well i need more context like how did this event come to be and everything and as i was recording with him it turned out that this was like a long love story right because we had to keep going back to all these other first times they tried this kinky act and then first times they tried that and how these were like chapters in this evolving love affair And people wrote in when we first published the story because so the scat scene comes at the very end of the story, right? And when we first put it out there, I was like, this might be the end of me. (laughs) This might be, you know, where people are like, okay, I've had enough. But no, people were writing in, I can't believe you had me crying tears of love over this story. (laughs) That's what you were pointing out before. Like, you just cannot predict how people are going to be affected by true stories because there are these details and or emotional patterns or thought patterns that show up in true stories that are bound to like remind someone of something that's happened in their own life or just be relevant to them in some way
1: yeah there's a resonance there there's yeah. we've all had lives we've all done these things even if i haven't played with my own poo exactly which, which i have not On the record, Uh, uh, this idea for for your legacy, for my legacy, it's now now to be found by the historian. Yes, yes. I have certainly had moments where I maybe there's something I'm ashamed of, maybe there's something I'm secretly proud of that I don't want to tell anybody else, or maybe I have a a second peer group independent of my first peer group. And again, it may have nothing to do with kinkiness, but there are similarities in our human experience that we can draw to. And I think people can hear that. As an artist, it means that you need to be true to the story you're telling and not consider how is this going to go? How is this going to be heard? Is this right? Is this wrong? Because you can never predict it. It will resonate in ways you could never possibly imagine. So don't try to imagine. You know your story. Tell your story. It can't be wrong. (laughs) It's yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I mean,
0: I know I was completely just thinking about the audience and how are we going to spin this uh, relationship with the mop that I felt like if I was disrespecting the mop... This is a scene.
1: Oh, no, no. I was disrespecting the mop.
0: People are going to be reacting to that all over the the country. And I I just didn't want to, I couldn't hold that. I needed to be supportive because who knows what sort of mop relationships are among our listenership. And you got to be respectful. You don't want to yuck their yum.
2: It's funny. Now that you mention it, we have never had a story on Risk (laughs) where someone falls in love with an inanimate object. So that's it. I should call for that. Like, you know. Because we try to like plant seeds. Like, does anyone have this? And it's never occurred to me to yeah, put a uh, mention that we could use a story like that.
0: The conservative politicians predicted as soon as you allow same-sex marriage, for sure you're going to have marriage between people and animals. And moths And inanimate objects. <laughs> I mean, so you don't want to make those conservative prophets into liars by not right. falling right. in love with an inanimate yes. object. I think it's the duty of every one of us. You can't you fit a little love in your heart for an inanimate object. That you describe with feminine qualities. If that's what you're into, I mean... <laughs> again, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to think of my cleaning wear as non-binary because I feel like <laughs> I don't want to impose that
1: <laughs> right on them. Yeah. Well, it's just so easy to see the handle and think male, and it's like, well, that's not fair. You know, that's not fair. Yeah. Right. right. We shouldn't just judge a book by its cover. Judge a mop mm-hmm.
0: by its handle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To get us toward the end of this experience, is there another scene we can set up that involves, now we can be self-conscious about it, uh, explore the idea of legacy from the inside, but, Bill, that will also take advantage of whatever improv lesson, I'm not sure what it is yet, unless it has to just do with truth. Believe it or not, we have been tap dancing all around it.
1: In that last scene, I had a moment of doing this lesson. Kevin did as well several times. Mm. And maybe I'll try, to, I'll try to get it in more, obviously, or try to draw it out of y'all. But it's hilarious. The synergies that are happening here are ridiculous. And I think I actually do have an idea. Hey, while I've got you here, uh, and let me just say, since I've been your manager, I just say that managing the famous... Ricky and Lester has been an amazing experience for me, and we are probably going to have to cut the tour short. I know y'all were really hoping that this whole comeback thing would catch fire, oh, and it just it hasn't.
0: What? Is, it, is it Lester's fault? It's certainly, it's not. Uh, it's not my fault. Yeah. But Lester, you know, was, uh, having the Reformation, it seemed like a, a good idea, but you know, it hasn't been quite quite up to par
2: most of the laughs. I mean, not that we're going for laughs, but, you know, we get something.
1: Well, yeah, I I think when we started the tour, there was some interest. I was able to get some nice venues. Ticket sales were slow. Probably a lot of the audience that you guys were used to back in the 70s aren't on the internet slash alive. And we've had to shrink the venue size a little bit, but I think we
0: might want to. Quit while we're ahead. Is it, do you have any market research? Do we, do we know why? What exactly do they, I mean, is it, it's, it's lesser, right? Uh, I mean, you can, you can tell me. Your bits are
1: old and tired. <laughs> what, you considered putting us in e- nursing homes? E- yes. I have actually gotten calls from some nursing homes. Some of your material has been a little dated it is considered perhaps what was edgy in 1970 is positively rude <laughs> today and i think i just dirty knock knock jokes you know <laughs> it's just, it's just sexual knock knock jokes uh I uh, uh b- being in drag very obvious drag and very silly drag with fake beards and it's just not it just hasn't
0: aged well yeah yeah lester you just haven't haven't age well. I mean, no, when, Ricky, I was, I, Ricky, when I was I, I don't, on I, my own, I was playing smaller houses, admittedly, but uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't getting as many folks coming up afterward, asking us for directions, seemingly not understanding that it was an entertainment show, thinking that we were some sort of customer service people. I'm really quite mystified by, by that reaction.
2: Well, Ricky, you've been a nightmare to work with. I mean, goodness gracious. I think the audience can feel the tension between us, you know. Well, well I think at least some, we could make it work with nursing. Though.
1: I think people can sense the tension. I mean, last week, Ricky, you mm-hmm. intentionally popped one
0: of the water balloons, in, in Lester's comedic brassiere. that was that was that was improv. You gotta stir things up a bit. I mean, because you're right, the knock knock jokes. I think those are classic. I, I don't think those are good out of style, but you gotta add to it. Every time... No, I'm allergic to water. <laughs> the man's allergic to water, Ricky. The man's allergic to water. You can't be allergic to water. That, that's like being allergic to air. This is some kind of hypochondriac bullshit. Well, you saw what I did. I mean, I attacked
2: several people in the audience.
1: Yeah. Threw drinks in their face. Tipped over a cabaret table. The one way I could see saving this tour is if for you to play up the tension and just have an ironic reunion tour where you actually hate each other.
0: Hmm. That's that's not not a terrible idea. It wouldn't require a whole lot of acting. Yeah, we're sort of already doing that. Can we also act like we, we despise most of the material? People, if we don't do the booger sketch, the booger sketch every time, People, people yell, booger, booger. I mean, granted, most of these people are quite elderly at this point, so I'm not sure if they're really requesting the booger sketch or just making some sort of a, a, a general statement. Yeah, I think that's fine. I, I think
1: that's fine. I think y'all have to decide how you want to exit the stage, be it gracefully, be it with a, an explosion.
0: Might as well go for tearing each other to pieces. Can we get it on... Netflix public access. I mean, I, I don't know what Netflix is, but you know, uh that, some there? Sort you of, go. I mean, y'all. I mean, this is part of it. You don't even know what Netflix is, Ricky. I think just being caught on on a phone and then they show that if if it's like two old men beating the shit out of each other and then that gets captured and then
1: it, it, like it goes viral. Me, Vi- yeah. I,
0: I've heard about that going viral.
1: Can we go viral? We can try. Do we need a safety word? Do we need to script your hatred, or would you rather just tear into each other live?
0: Yeah, I think we could just go with the flow. I think that would be a a good message to send to kids, that you can just follow your dreams. You don't have to plan everything. You can just go and uh, express what's in your heart, which is a real annoyance, I mean, on a a fucking minute-by-minute basis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, spectacular.
1: What is, what is Lester done, Ricky? You look across the room and you see somebody who you wouldn't have a career without each other. You guys were on Dinah Shore. Okay. You're on with Johnny, you know, do you think you would have a career without each other? I mean, we were on Johnny once, once. And then Jay once, you know, and then you did Merv Griffin about four or five times.
0: All right. That went well, but yeah, by the time we got to Jay, things were not tip-top anymore. The timing sucks across the board. The jokes, the quality, the, the ones that I come in with, I feel like I'm, there's no there's no give and take. There's just there's give, 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 and then there's uh, some sputtering noises. Well,
2: you've always been so annoyed that I won't take a shower, but you know, it's the allergies.
0: That Mr. So- Leno inviting us to the couch, and I lean over and give him a nice noogie, and uh, you know, he really... I mean, he seemed really irritated, but I know he was enjoying that. And then he caught a whiff of you and I knew that was it. We were never going to get on one of these shows again. We could just kiss it all goodbye because of hypochondriac. I mean, water sport. Is that, is that the proper term for what you have? What? I don't know. (laughs) No. If you've got a great aversion to something and, but it's all bollocks, then it's a sport. It's a put on. And so he's got a water. Sport. Is that have I been using that wrong all these years? <laughs> I think so. I think you've got some sort of other
2: terminology in mind.
0: All right. Well <laughs> p- perhaps we just let this dribble out. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Couldn't think actually how one might bring such a scene to a climax. We're not gonna do a show right there. There will there will be no climax. The scene will end, <laughs> but there will be no climax that that is the legacy It's a bunch of misopportunities and and bitterness and uh uh, and that gets uh yes transmitted to the audience for all to see i hope that the state's reunion is faring better than that yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but you're not old enough quite yet you got to give it another 20 years
2: oh my god maybe a few a,
0: a few deaths and then uh, whoever's Lord. left can uh, have those. Uh, <laughs> you didn't invite me on Viva Variety, you bastards! And, and right. just uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I, I can't imagine <laughs> like uh, because we feel so doing this show now that we're doing it feels so much like one of our NYU shows, you know, in that we're just running around like chickens with our heads cut off, you know, like, putting on this costume and crazy props left and right, and sound cues and lighting cues and yada yada, and we're like. Holy shit, in our 50s, this is, we're feeling a little ragged, you know, as far as like little creaky in the joints and all. So, yeah, when we talk about, oh God, what if we were still trying to do shit in our 70s or whatever? I have no idea what it would be. It might, we might have to be on cots.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'd imagine you're talking about legacy and whatnot and this idea of do do people want to see. How many people want to see really new things or interesting things or even I know kids in the hall had a little comeback and it's like, or do they just want to see their memory? You know, how do you square that circle? You know,
2: the what we've done is we have like a few classic sketches that are word for word. And then we have characters that people remember, but in new sketches. Sure. And then we have a lot of video segments, like while we're changing costumes and stuff like that, that are stuff that people haven't seen before, either because it was just stuff we did at NYU or stuff that didn't make it onto MTV. So it's a really fun mix where people are saying they feel like they got a great dose of the nostalgia stuff, but oh, and then and then there are some sketches that are entirely new, just new characters, new sketches. So It's a great mix where you can reliably, oh, okay, I know these guys. Oh, this is new, you know? So I think people are really enjoying
1: the mix of it all. I got to imagine seeing the work dabbled in some sketches on my own day. And there's, there's times where you, you love something you did and you fall out of love with it, but then you see it again through different eyes and your life is different and you're in a different place. And the reason for doing it might be different. If people kind of come together and they're seeing it through the same lens, do you think, or is it so yes and yes yes and no. (laughs) It's, it's
2: been really, really interesting to like look back at, you know, when we were putting the show together looking back at sketches and being like, oh, remember this one being funny, and then being like, oh, Uh. yeah, no, we can't do that. You know, like, little arguments (laughs) over whether or not something was ever funny to begin with. So, yeah, that's been a very interesting thing. We also, we're going to be doing, we've now scheduled with San Francisco Sketch Fest that we're going to be doing a table read of never-before-seen sketches at all, like we wrote an entire movie at one point that never got made. And we really do feel like we could do something together again, some new stuff. So I think it's really fun that David Owen from San Francisco Sketch Fest came to see the show when we did it in San Francisco. And he asked the group if we might want to do anything. And we just happened to be joking around that day about these various sketches that we've got in this big folder that we were putting together for this movie that never got made. And we were like, well, yeah, shit, we've got a ton of stuff we've never. And some of those sketches we've looked at and we're like, oh no, we could never do this today.
0: (laughs) Well, all that was a lengthy plug to wrap us up is yes, go try to see the state live whenever it may come out again.
2: yeah right right exactly we're apparently going to be in austin and nashville sometime maybe in the spring and we'll be at san francisco Sketchfest. so you know what keep an eye on us we're at the-state.com
0: all right and we've now reached the time so uh, so bill i never actually guessed your improv technique (laughs) can you reveal it to us It was this idea of having some time to talk about yourself
1: and talk about the kind of person that you are in character as your character. We had some Mm -hmm. moments where Kevin was talking about his love of brooms and things. And it's not just a list of factual statements. It's actually this explains who I am. You take these details and you can draw a line and guess, well, this is who this person is based on these biographical facts. And it's almost like it's not a resume. A resume is a list of cold things. It is, you know, let me tell you a story of right. my senior prom. And in me telling the story of senior prom, you find out that I'm the guy who had the rich parents who let him get away with anything. And I'm the guy who could score beer because I had an older brother, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm also the guy who would take things too far. You know what I'm saying? And it's like in telling this story, you learn who this person really is, not just, you know, height, weight, where <laughs> they went to college, you know, useless information. So that was the idea was that in our improv scenes and in in our things, we can try to find moments where we talk about who we are inadvertently. We talk about our past, some story from our Mm. past that ends up explaining. Gotcha. You're that guy. I've met that guy. I know that guy. I love that guy. Sometimes I hate that guy, but I also love that guy. (laughs) Right, right, right. That's it scary. happened a few little bits here or there, and I was trying to pull it out of you in that last one. But c'est la vie. It's improv. It's...
0: <laughs> I liked where Kevin was going with the allergy to water, but I wanted to he sort of, <laughs> we could have explored that more of where, if it is, in fact, uh, some form of mental illness, of <laughs> <laughs> where that might have come from. Yeah. But going into some of the incidents of the past, I think, worked pretty well. All right. So we've reached the point in the show. We, we just revealed the, uh, the improv lesson, the philosophy lesson. I guess to sum up, we live in an ephemeral world and we're trying to make our little toeholds wherever we can and pass things down and, and just how much to what degree it was more a question. And you know, is that shaping your life, especially as we're all getting older and thinking about, <laughs> you know, am I going to get out of this before I get canceled? And like uh, is the the hours and hours and hours of recorded content that we are leaving. <laughs> right. Is anybody going to listen to that? In, after a while, or is you know, are we the ultimately? You know, you are the one that cares about your art, and so when you are no longer uh, curating it, unless you have a very enterprising student or admirer or something to become the personal scholar of of the state or whatnot, it is a wonder. Kevin, do you have which one of those lessons? Those topics. Will you go away today feeling like you are most changed by this this hour-long experience exploring those two areas? This is
1: a legacy from when we started doing this. And even though it may not carry the weight it once did, it is a legacy. And we're going to continue asking who won.
2: Well, I do love that looking for the telling details, the details that a person might mention about themselves that have a whole world within them that really open things up for you of, oh, okay, you're motivated to pursue that sort of thing, or oh, okay, so that's important to you, you know, where whenever we're coaching people on telling stories for risk, we want them to be as detailed as possible. But the key is those details that are really like kind of loaded. the ones oh, yeah. that really like say a lot more than they do on the surface.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So improv is the winner. That's how I'm interpreting what you just said. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> well, I would, I would second that. I, I feel like the combination of these sensibilities of you two gentlemen of, with your varying storytelling type activities has been illuminating for me and had a lot of fun. Fabulous. Yeah. Me too. Great fun, y'all. Great fun. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. So long. See you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to everybody for listening to Philosophy Versus Improv. You can learn more about the podcast at philosophyimprov.com. We hope you're subscribed directly to the Philosophy Versus Improv feed if you are not already. I'd especially like to thank our current active Patreon supporters. That is Paul, Brett, Nick, Michael, Helen, and Ethan. To have your name added to that esteemed list and ensure that this podcast keeps happening, please go to patreon.com/slash philosophy improv. Most episodes have a little post game segment, not this one. We're running a little low on time, where we might further explore some of the topics brought up, hear more about what the guest is doing, maybe share some recommendations in the comedy or philosophy spaces, and of course, that experience would be entirely ad free. In summary, thank you. We love you. Bye bye. Bankrupts! 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 Bankrupts.